Welcome to the Witty and Gritty Podcast. Hosted by Brooke and Farron. Where you learn a little about a lot. And sometimes a lot about a little. Welcome to episode four of the 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth by John Maxwell. We're covering chapters 10, 11, and 12 today. Chapter 10, The Law of the Rubber Band. Growth stops when you lose tension between where you are and where you could be. Only a mediocre person is always at his best by W. Somerset Mom. And for fun, you should look up how to pronounce mom. It's M-A-U-G-H-A-M. YouTube it. That'll be a lot of fun for you. So, this episode is about the law of the rubber band and how you need to get out of your comfort zone, basically. Yep. I like how John Maxwell starts by sharing his personal journey and his career and how he got to where he is today. Um, He shares this idea that God's gift to us is our potential and our gift to God is to develop it. Yeah, one of the points that he mentioned that I really liked is that few people want to stretch, and everybody knows that guy. They're sitting in the office, and they're saying things like, that's the way we've always done it, and we've never tried this. Why would we want to do it this way now? I know that you can probably relate to that. Yeah, so don't be surprised if you find yourself surrounded by people that don't want to change. A lot of times when we get excited about new opportunities, Um, You'll find more people quick to say, well, why would you want to do that? Or, good luck, that's a lot of work. I'm happy right where I am. Anything worth having is worth working for is what I have to say about that. Exactly. So if you go in the mindset knowing that when you start sharing, you know, this want or desire to grow, um, if you know going into it people are going to be not as thrilled, uh, that won't dampen your spirits. One of the other things about that's the way we've always done it in my head, I'm like, well, if that's the way you've always done it, then go ahead and get out your tablet and chisel, and that's how you need to write your notes forever. Right. Like, we wouldn't want, you know, the medical industry to just say, well, that's how we've always done it, right? Like a lobotomy. Yes, I well, mean, that's how we've always yes, Or done organ it. trail style, you'll die of dysentery. Yes. Sorry. Yes, so... Um, you know, change is definitely necessary and can be very beneficial. Um, Another thing that when you start your personal growth journey, you want to be careful of is not comparing yourself to others. And I like this other idea in this chapter that talks about only measuring yourself against yourself. So comparing who you were yesterday or last week or even a year ago to who you are now. And are you growing Have you made any progress in the area you've been focusing on? And that should be much better for your self-esteem and ultimately your success. So something that my three-year-old is doing right now, she's doing if I'm not letting her do one thing or another. Sloan will say, well, my Mimi lets me do this or my daddy lets me do this. Oh, my gosh. I know. And all the moms said amen. Part of me is like, okay. I see what you're doing there, but it's comparison. From that early age, they have already learned that that's a thing that you naturally do. And so I've just started saying back, Sloan, comparison is the thief of joy. Don't let it drop your joy. (laughs) And And then what does she say? Okay, so she does does have a comeback. She said, Mom, um, God gives me joy, but also my daddy lets me do this. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
my favorite is in school when you recorrect or redirect a student or tell them to, you know, knock it off in a very nice way. Oh, yeah. Um, that they say, well, he was doing it. Mm-hmm. And so my response is, well, if he punched me in the face, would you do it? And they just look appalled, like, of course not. And it's like, you know right from wrong. And so, anyways, don't let someone else's standards become your standards. I feel like we could preach on this one all day, just measuring yourself against others. Like, everybody should know by now that Facebook is the highlight reel, unless you're the ER of the Facebook. You know who you are. If you're, if you're not sure, then ask your friends, and they'll tell you, hopefully. Yep. And, I mean, this is definitely easier said than done. There's plenty of people that, you know, I would want to be like, look like, or have achieved what they've already achieved, but... Um, that's not going to get me any closer to my goal. So Right. None of us are exempt from that comparison game. Yep. So it gives you a new focus. Mm-hmm. Um, another point he brings up is stretching sets you apart from others. And like you mentioned earlier, Farron, when we were talking before we started recording, there are always people who will sit there and say, well, how did they get this promotion? Yep. People are always surprised by the opportunities that other people get. And... Um, they don't always see what all went into it. Mm-hmm. And they also aren't willing to do anything extra to get noticed. And it's not personal things like, oh, I bought my boss coffee. It's like getting the mm-hmm. job done, stepping up to do the work no one else wants to do, going that extra mile, um, and doing it with quality and a good attitude. Um, and so it just kills me when people are like, well, you know, she only got to do that because, like, they're best friends. And I'm like, well, they might be friends and they might also admire each other because they both work their butts off trying to um, Have stretch. Have common ground yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. So, again, with the promotion thing, I've had, you hear it all the time. The uh, Back to the how did they get this or how did they do that. And a lot of, that I'm learning is you ask not because you have not. Like, your boss may not know you want to try more leadership type of things or take on more tasks because you have not conveyed that message. Sometimes we just assume our bosses are mind readers, but, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a skill I've yet to develop. But one day, one of these days, maybe that'll be my superpower. But you ask not because you have not. Even just this past year, um, I've asked for more leadership roles or how can I step up here? And I had a colleague come up to me and ask, so why are you in charge of this now? I asked for it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's twofold. You got to express your desires. So you got to talk that talk, but then you also have to follow it up with walking that walk. So when you want a leadership position, then you also have to demonstrate good leadership skills. Yes. If you want more responsibility, you need to do the responsibilities you already have and then some. So, you know, when I'm looking at a student who wants a certain classroom job or if one of my kids wants, I mean, we're not there yet, but wants their own phone, um, you know. Never. I, I'm Gosh. You will no. get it never. Well, that podcast coming in <laughs> 22 years. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, anyway, so step one, I definitely think you got to express it, but then it comes back to stretching yourself. Um, It is going to be taking on an additional task or two, um, especially if it's not the job or 
that you're currently doing. Right. If you're asking for a promotion or asking for leadership, by golly, you better be ready to be the rubber band or you're not going to survive it. Yep. You're not going to thrive in it. You're not going to develop it or get better at it. You're just going to be that rubber band that does nothing. What does rubber band do when it's not stretched? It does nothing. Yeah. So a quick reminder then, if you know that's what you want, just mentally prepare that it's going to be somewhat uncomfortable. Um, it's going to be outside your comfort zone to keep measuring yourself against yourself. Don't compare yourself to others. And um, do work that's going to set you apart in a positive way. And that comes back to another point he made that uh, you have to make it a lifestyle. It's almost like it needs to be something you become. Uh, not necessarily taking on more tasks or trying to do everything possible, but just live in that state of uh, not being stagnant and always trying to better yourself. Can I be better than the day before? Can I wash one more dish? I think I can do it. I think maybe I can wash one more dish. I can't. <laughs> Depends on the day. Depends on the day. No, but that's a very good point. I mean, we, you have to be realistic. You know, at what cost are you going to um, burn yourself out? But also, mm-hmm. again, making sure this rubber band example that you're being stretched, you know, Are you a rubber band lying on a table (laughs) or are you wrapped around something or holding things together? So I was trying to think of something maybe for you, Farron, and for me, what have been some things in our past that have forced you to become the rubber band to stretch you, get you uncomfortable in order for you to grow? Yeah, I mean, um, definitely being athletes, we've always been challenged by coaches and whatnot to to grow and after baby number three trying to lose the baby weight oh my gosh gosh (laughs) does it ever go away (laughs) it's not even comfort level it's like I don't know if I can wake up to go work out if my arms are too sore how do I lift my baby or change a diaper (laughs) put my hair up so that that baby doesn't pull it oh my gosh so that's been a recent um you know getting out of my comfort zone for sure yes and even just whenever we both went to college together and we both didn't know anybody we went to play soccer so already being stretched in the athletic realm but also I know sometimes I don't make quick of making friends but I had to force myself to hey let me go up and talk to these people and introduce myself even though I don't really feel like it yeah Yep, I think a lot of times if we based decisions on the most comfortable later, there's going to probably be some regret on what could have been. So, you know, be okay with being uncomfortable. Chapter 11, The Law of Trade-Offs. You have to give up to grow up. People will cling to an unsatisfactory way of life rather than change in order to get something better for fear of getting something worse. Eric Hoffer. This is probably one of my most favorite chapters out of the book, The Law of Trade-Offs. I feel like that's something that is subconsciously happening all the time, and you'll speak into that in a little bit. Yeah, I think in general this is the now what. So we we hopefully have the buy-in, we have the prepping, this is the action part. Right. In the chapter, he talks about some truths about trade-offs, and we're just going to talk about a couple of them. One of them, he talks about how we must learn to see the trade-offs as an opportunity for growth. Again, back to the rubber band, we have to view everything through the lens of how am I going to grow from it? Um, How is this going to push me to the next goal? Or 
how's this going to be a byproduct in order to make my life just better in general? There's, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Nope. Just agreeing with you. There's, oh, Because you. you're Thanks. awesome. Oh, yeah. Tell me some more. Um, the, one of the points he brings up is to do uh, pluses and minuses of a trade-off, but I usually, I just say it's a pro-con chart. That's something that I've done for as long as I can remember. If I am stuck between two decisions, not sure what to do, prayed about it, sought wise counsel about it, sometimes I just need to get pen and paper and just draw a pro-con chart just to see what's going on so do you ever weigh things different like financial family personal feelings long-term goals yes so i would say different aspects of whatever i'm pro conning carries different point values so if it's something that's uh, benefiting my family and keeping my family safe over keeping us being able to eat more fast food. I'm obviously going to choose the one with a higher point value, the one that's higher on the priority list. So if it came down to certain things, yes, priorities go hand in hand with that. Awesome. There's another part where it says, um, are you going to go through the change or grow through the change? So something our church has, has said a few times lately is uh, life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. So you might be going through something, but what are you going to do with Whatever that is, if it's a death, if it's a job loss, if it's just a really annoying co-worker. I mean, these are all things that are happening, but is it happening to you or is it happening for you? So it's all about perspective there. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of life lessons in that one. Um, One of my first teaching positions, I worked with a very strong personality and I'm more of a laid back, um, let's have everybody get along, people pleaser, personality. And I just couldn't make this person happy. And I was, I don't know why. They just, they needed to be happy. I did everything. <laughs> and they should be happy, darn You're it. flawless. Why don't you like me? And our team should be getting along. And we should be singing Kumbaya. And it should have been great. But um, all those challenges, those first couple years, have prepared me then for other situations with either a challenging parent or um, co-worker, heck, even a challenging student from time to time. You have those? You have challenging students? No way. Yes, very (laughs) way. Uh, So, yes, just sometimes it's easier to see after the fact, but if you can, when you are in a hard season or in some um, rough patches, if you can look back at the other ones you've gone through and say, wow, I got a lot out of this after the fact and start looking for those Little nuggets of gold while you're in it. Right, and I think we've spoken about this earlier. Those little wins that show that you can do this, so what can I do from there? I know I've gotten through this, so surely I can get through this next thing with obviously some outside help from higher powers. And Farron, what you were saying earlier about the coworker or whoever you're working with, it made me think of this quotation. It's, you could be the best, juiciest peach in all the world, and someone still doesn't like peaches. Yep, very true. And there's also another thing that I was researching. I have a flexible classroom, and there's always someone who's like, I don't like how the lights are dim in this one part of the classroom. And they sit at the dim part of the classroom every day. That blows my mind. Um, And there's always someone who doesn't like something. There's always that person. It's their destiny to be that guy. And there's something I looked up, and it's called the Pareto Principle. And the law. it's the law of 80-20. And you can apply this law of 80-20 in any facet of life. So goes 
the principal. And so, like, if you're in a classroom of 20, five of them aren't going to like you or like how you run things. And sure enough, when I did the math with my flexible seating survey I did, it was 20% of the population just didn't like it for no reason, and it would drive me crazy. Yes, but see, the perfectionist side of me wants 100%. And yes. I love the challenge then. What? Five aren't going to like it? I bet I can have only one not like it. Mm-hmm. I got issues, people. <laughs> they will always find something. It's their mission in life, especially if they have some sort of personal vendetta towards you. Yes, well, you know. Keeps life interesting, uh, I guess. Of course. <laughs> the next principle we want to talk about was the loss of a trade-off is usually felt long before the gain. Isn't that true? Um, pregnancy is one of those. Praise. Oh my gosh, you've got to give up like alcohol and, <laughs> and your clothes that used to fit. We don't drink here. Water. <laughs> Please drink lots of water. Um, and so then until you hold that baby in your arms, uh, that's like one of the biggest trade-offs. But that whole process takes a good, a good 10 months. Um, obviously health is something that is just an easy go-to. Um, I think going through college and school, uh, growing up, it's like, why do you go to school? So you can grow up and get a good job and make money and support your family. And, oh my gosh, school being difficult for me personally growing up, uh, getting through college, um, and finally getting that first job. I mean, that was a lot of work, a lot of hustle, and uh, the fulfillment came much later than kindergarten. So, <laughs> something I'm realizing with schooling too and higher level education, um, I know it seems silly to go to school for all these years for just a piece of paper, but what I'm learning later on the other side of it is that piece of paper represents so much more than just an 8 by 11 white sheet of paper that has your name. It represents hours of dedication, commitment to a task, and fulfilling all of the necessary requirements. And doing well enough to where you have that little piece of paper that can unlock and open doors for you. Right. It goes beyond the coursework. So, Farron, you and I are in a community group, or we call it a CG, or a home group, life group, whatever your church calls it. We're in one of those things together. And I know it can be awkward and uncomfortable to even, one, get in one, or even speak when you're actually in it. I know some people just will go and commit to the group, but then never open up and never just talk about whatever it is or even the time commitment and showing up regularly that's another trade-off that that, comes with it yeah and that's not to convict whatever it's just our group noticed a significant change whenever we started to all commit to showing up and actually speaking about real issues and getting ugly with our life and hey this is actually how my marriage looks or this is how my bank account looks or this is how my mental Um, dialogue that I have daily looks like and it's been interesting because trading off being comfortable and just either not going or just sitting silently to trading it for speaking and opening up it's just been really cool to see how uh, others are like oh well we went through that five years ago this is what we did or hey I think we're about to enter a phase that might be difficult what advice do you have for us so that's been something that's really helped me so trading off the comfortable for the out of the comfort zone to grow in those awkward, uncomfortable, yet very good ways. Yep. I think a way to get more comfortable with trade-offs in general is to do small trade-offs on a regular basis. 
And if you think about it, you are making trade-offs um, every day. When you choose the healthy or unhealthy option, you're choosing a trade-off. When you choose to um, open your Bible or not, you're making a trade-off. Um, if you choose to do the dishes before you go to bed or not, I mean, that's a trade-off. And I would totally go bed. But man, when I do stay up to get those done, it's nice walking into a clean kitchen. Um, so again, you're already making trade-offs, whether you're aware of it or not. And I think um, if you can start being aware of the trade-offs you're making, start with small ones. Um, that'll encourage you to make bigger trade-offs in the long run, and you'll just be more comfortable. And I think we're speaking to the same type of people. We're all people who want to grow and do better, and I think we want to avoid being stagnant or not pursuing growth. So again, is it if it's not part of the solution, it's part of the problem because being being stagnant and not growing, that's an issue, and you're going to get passed up for the promotion, or you're not going to... Um, develop whatever skill set you're working on. Yeah, I think is it Einstein that says, you know, it's craziness to do the same thing and expect a different outcome. So essentially, if you're not willing to trade anything off, then you can't expect to see the changes. Right. last chapter we are covering today is chapter 12, The Law of Curiosity. Growth is stimulated by asking why. Some men see things as they are and ask why. Others dream things that never were and ask why not. George Bernard Shaw. Bernard Shaw. Bernard Shaw. Like inertia, but with the B. Right, there we go. It's scientific. Very good. All right, so one of the points they that he brings up is you need to believe that you can be curious. And I, I'm a big um, supporter of before you can achieve, you must believe. So in the visualization and the even believing in yourself that you can do it or you can acquire the skills to do something, because if you can't even imagine yourself doing it, it's not ever going to happen. Yep, um, Einstein, I'm on an Einstein kick today says that all meaningful and lasting change starts first in your imagination. So you got to believe it to achieve it. Right. Another point is about spending time with curious people. Yeah. So I hang out with Brooke a lot because she's curious and also thinks curiously. Thanks. <laughs> all a compliment. Right, right. No, it's just, it's nice to have someone that when you get excited about a plan or an idea and they ask like meaningful, good questions to, of things that you hadn't even thought of before. Um, so it sparks almost creativity. I know this chapter uses the word curious a lot, but I would also equate that to being creative. Um, and Brooke is really good at giving me feedback. So it's really important that you find someone that when you have a good idea, um, that they can dream with you, but not just like, man, someday when I'm rich and famous, we'll buy cars. But I mean, we do talk about living together. <laughs> Once long down, die. Well, you know, yes, long down the road, years, years, years from now. But surround yourself with curious, creative people that also um, think outside the box and um, can take your dream even further than you might have imagined. Right, and that goes back to the, if you're the most curious in the room, you're in the wrong room. Go find a different room. If you're the smartest person in the room, you are in the wrong room. Go find a different room. 
And I, I remember being way out of my comfort zone when we went to Austin College because now everybody spoke multiple languages. Everybody was pre-med, pre-law. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be a teacher, everybody. Mm-hmm. So just being in the, always having that sense of I am so uncomfortable knowing that I am nowhere near the smartest person in the room. But because I was in that situation for four years and then fifth with our master's, it just, it helped me grow and just get over it. I had, I had a lot of getting over to do. And you know, some of the most curious people in the world are kids. So if you have nieces, nephews, if you're babysitting kids, your own kids. If you have kids. Yes. Um, if you have a spouse that acts like a kid. No, that might have been <laughs> one step too far. But the point is, I don't know who you're referring to. Uh, not my husband or your husband. Of course, it's somebody else's husband. Yes, there. I've heard of these husbands that act like man children. Is that what they call it? Yes. I don't. Possibly. I wouldn't know because we don't have those no. guys. <laughs> we no, sure don't. Right? Yeah, but we. I mean it, babe. Okay, so <laughs> um, spending time with kids, man, they come up with the most strange things ever. I had a student once. Um, We were trying to connect to a text about ducks, and he went on this long tangent about how his daddy hunts ducks, but only the bad ducks, and preparing the ducks, and right when I'm trying to stop him before I think it's going to get gory, he ends with, and that's how you make chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yes, and so, um, you know, that sparks curiosity on multiple levels. Side note, if you have a curious child, because, you know, I have, I've had three kids in three years, so they're in the why phase, why this, why that. So if you make them say the whole question, it definitely stops their why. So Sloan or Scout will say, well, why? And I just say, why what? What are you asking? And then they either were paying attention instead of just saying, why, on repeat, why, 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 mm-hmm. why? Mm-hmm. And they they will either address it, they'll say, why is blah, 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 blah. Or they're just going to sit there and say, huh, I don't know. So try that one, because it's worked for me so far. Yeah, if you're tired of the whys. And another way to end the why game is to ask them, well, why do you think? Ooh. Yeah, that one, that one works pretty well. And you'll be surprised. That's some of the answers you get. So it's a win-win. Either they say, well, I don't know, and you go, oh, me neither. (laughs) Or they say some really bizarre answer, and at that point you can choose to agree and end the game or disagree, and that's on you. And if you're at a dead end, you can always just say, that's the way the Lord has made it. I I don't know. Sloan was asking one day about Mulan. Well, why why did they make Mulan um, say that funny line? Well, the directors decided to write that in the script. Why? That's a great question. You should ask them. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So if you are the director of Mulan, please reach out to us because Sloan would very much like to know um, why did you make her have funny lines? Alrighty, so another good takeaway from this chapter is it encourages you to partake in the fruit of failure. So instead of seeing failure you know, as a loss, see, embrace failure, use it to help you grow, learn from your mistakes. And I heard somewhere this family that um, at the dinner table, every day they were going to be, their father would ask them, um, what did you fail at today? And 
if they didn't have an answer, I mean, he was disappointed with them. Um, And when they shared the failure, you know, he was more interested in what did, how did they respond to that failure than he was concerned with the fact that they failed. But, you know, he saw failure as his kids um, taking chances, looking for opportunities and pushing themselves. And ultimately, he hoped that they learned something from that experience. So the two things, what did you fail at? And then what did you do in response to that failure? What a good habit, too, an expectation to give your kids. So I'm taking that one home. I mean, I'm thinking, too, that, like, when they make a big mistake, they might be more apt to come talk to you about it, especially, you know, being a mom. I, you know, I want them to, I already want them to come tell me all the bad things. Or if they're in a bad situation, I want them to call me and I'll come get them and we can talk about the rest later. So if you can develop this culture of, you know, failure being something to learn from and work through and, uh, it might be embraced a little bit differently. The great thing about that is that habit can start today. It's never too late to start developing a culture of, hey, it's okay to fail. It's what we do when we mess up because everyone's going to fall down. Everyone's going to get knocked down. It's how long is it taking you to get back up to try again because everyone's going to end up getting back up too. Everyone gets knocked down. Everybody gets back up. It's kind of like that Chumbawamba song. Where <laughs> oh, I get knocked down. <laughs> all day you're welcome you're welcome everybody uh, everybody you should go listen to that song man i remember that that's all i remember about that song I yeah know, but we don't need to sing anymore i like I the mumbling though i get knocked down i get knocked down yes i don't even know what you're talking about oh you know getting knocked down and get back up yeah so it's the how long is it taking you to pop back up and go and we see this a lot of times with athletes too you don't have time in the middle of a game to pout, question yourself, doubt your teammates. You just have to get up and go. You have to find a way to get over yourself or get over the situation because if all you're thinking about is the previous mistake, what is going to happen? You're going to keep messing up because you're not thinking about what you're doing. Another way um, I, I'm sitting here thinking to teach your kids or you know people around you if you're in a leadership position um, how to respond to failures. Gosh, that's still such a strong word. I want to say accidents, mistakes, Mm -hmm. mishaps, um, is to point out when you've done it and then demonstrate how you're fixing it. So again, with my own personal kids, I'll be like, oh, well, mommy messed up and I'll offer a sincere apology. If I spill something and I say, oh, that's okay, I'm going to clean it up. And I might even ask them, what should I get to clean it up with? Um, things like that, just so that they see if I get flustered when I mess up or if I get defensive and blame it on something else, then why wouldn't I expect them to fail and blame it on others or make right. excuses? Yeah, again, those are good habits that can start now if you haven't started yet or if you're if you're not to the kid level yet. Uh, and I think there's a lot to be said with being transparent, whether it's in the workplace or at church or with your friends or with your kids. Everybody makes mistakes, so why are we pretending that people don't Yeah, when that's not even the case? Uh, this is also a great time to have mentioned the book Grit by Angela Duckworth. If you haven't read it yet, you should definitely do that. It talks all about the failing forward and growth mindset and all that good stuff and those hot topics right now that 
are all in the education realm. But again, um, grit, hopefully we can do that book soon. But it's, it's great. It talks about how, yes, we will fail. It's what we do in our mistakes that make us who we are as people. Another uh, point from this chapter talks about stop looking for the right answer. So when you're curious, realize that there could be multiple answers. Right, or if you get stuck, or uh, there, there's more than one way to skin a cat, obviously. That phrase works, I know. It, back to that kid whose dad kills the bad birds, I don't know. But and, that's how you make chicken. But you're right, <laughs> my mistake. When we return all these fake chickens I have from the store, I'm not sure. They certainly didn't come from ducks, so they must not be real. Uh, but just knowing that there are so many different ways to get the same result. Like, let's say you want to be healthier. Yeah, you could do this workout or that workout. There are so many things you could do to become a healthier person. There is more than one right way to get there. And I think a lot of times, oh, well, if she did it this way, then I have to do it that way. Not necessarily because y'all are not the same person. So y'all have two totally different skill sets bringing totally different things to the table. Why would you presume that you could do something like someone else whenever no one can do it like you? Yeah, Coming to the conclusion that the right answer has already been found is kind of what will kill curiosity. Um, People like to say, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And instead, if you can go on and say, well, how can we make it better Or when is it likely to break? Um, You know, a cart and horse or horse-covered carriage, they could have said, this works, why fix it? And then we wouldn't have the transportation we have today. Back to that's the way we've always done it. Oh, I mean, everything just seems Mm to um, spiral back on each other. But Right. There's one example in kindergarten. So clearly this has stuck with me for all these years. We were doing a lesson on coloring and cutting and the process in which to do it and all that jazz. So there was, it was on eight and a half by 11 and it was a picture of a bumblebee and our job was the end result it needed to be um, cut out and colored a certain way and then you were done with the assignment. And all these kids, they were cutting out their bumblebee first because that was the first step to do and then they were doing this and gluing on the whatever And then they were coloring at the end. And in my head, I'm like, "Uh, it's going to be a lot easier if I can just color. And yeah, it goes outside the lines. But guess what's going to happen after I'm done coloring? I'm going to cut out the bumblebee. Therefore, all of the mistakes will be gone. And I remember doing that and coloring it and starting to cut it. And I got in trouble because I didn't do it the right way. And in my head, I'm like, this is actually the better way because then it leaves room for error and it helps with time management. Who knew? I knew all that in kindergarten. Look at me. Gosh, you're so smart. I want to be like you when I grow up. As long as it's coloring bumblebees and cutting them out, (laughs) I'm good to go. Oh, gosh. Yes, so um, one of the last points in here talks about thinking um, outside the box, similar to what we've been talking about. But another curiosity killer is when people's curiosity takes them to the question of, can I do blank? So it becomes this debate of, can I do it or can't I do it? And it encourages us to ask instead, how can I? And I like to think of this as, if I could, how would I go about doing it? Um, So that leaves, that makes it seem much more manageable and attainable and breaks it down into steps, which I like. Um, 
So what do you what do you think? Yeah, uh, back to the overarching theme of curiosity. Just how can we make this better? How can we make it more fun? How can we make it more accessible? Addressing the need of the people. Do they need it to be more accessible? Okay, great. How can we make that happen? Not can we? So tying in from the very first point to the very last point. It's just it's looking through it a whole different way with a whole new lens on just reframing your mindset. Thanks for listening to the Witty and Gritty podcast, hosted by Brooke and Farron. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and our website, wittyandgritty.blog. Subscribe to our email list to get exclusive updates, freebies, and more. Keep tuning in to learn a little about a lot.